You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello, everyone. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I am your host, Doug Thorpe. And today I've asked one of my coaching colleagues in uh, the greater Houston area, where I, of course, am located. His name is David Handler. I've asked him to be a guest on this show. David and I have the pleasure of being part of a mastermind of coaches here in the area. It's been going on for quite some time, and we get together on a monthly basis and help each other out, share some best practices, tell some stories, uh, really encourage each other. And we we try to use that activity to um, help all of us uh, stay on, on our edge. You know, the, as the old saying goes, iron sharpens iron. But uh, that said, David, welcome to the show. Doug, thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate you inviting me to do this. And, and more importantly, I love our monthly get-togethers because it is true. I learned so much from all of you. I take copious notes and I don't ever take notes when I coach. So I go back and look at these notes and go, there's so much I can apply to my coaching here. So yeah. it's always good. Now, I, I want to, it, it, kind of in the spirit of full disclosure and, uh, and, and great uh, respect, David does, as a coach, does carry the PCC designation. That's kind of the top of the heap in the uh, International Coaching Federation uh, ranking of coach certifications. And David, how long have you had that? distinction? Yeah, so for five years. There's an interesting story there. I was actually trained 19, 20 years ago now uh, by the 18th person that Thomas Leonard trained to be a coach. So Thomas Leonard was the guy who started all this, the grandfather of coaching. He trained Ernest Oriente. I reached out to Ernest to train me because I wanted to segue into coaching. He said, I don't train coaches. And I literally called him three times and begged him. I've never met him. He lives on a mountain in Park City, Utah. But for the next four years, I, it was only a year till I started coaching. But every other Monday for four years, I met with my wife in our bedroom and me in my home office um, for Ernest to teach me how to be a coach. And I thought I was taught from the best. Why do I need to get certified? Many years passed and suddenly a lot of the organizations I was working with said, what's your certification? Well, rather than telling the story, I just told you, I said, I'm going to go get certified. So I got certified in 2017. And the funny thing is I had already coached for 8,000 hours at that point. ICF does not count any of those. They count the first hour after your first class. That's right. So I've tracked every hour since that March class in 2017. And I'm proud to tell you that on Friday, I will surpass another 2,500 hours. So I'm well over 10,000 hours now. Malcolm Gladwell will be proud of me. Good for you. Good for you. Well, before we get in, into the, some of the nuts and bolts that I'd like to explore with you, give us a, a, kind of your background. I always like to ask my guests to tell us of their life journey that brought them to this place. And uh, most of the time, it's always a little bit circuitous and random and wandering. And so uh, how about you? Well, you just described mine. I uh, did not take the typical path to being a coach. I spent 15 years as a sports television producer, started working local television in Dallas, got hired to do studio shows, started doing live events, and um, the last year I did television, I was on the road for 36 weekends. And, uh, we, you know, that's when sporting events happen. 
And I was doing football, basketball, Major League Baseball all over the country. And uh, great career. I think I was good at it, but I was miserable. And I didn't want to end up without my family, which was the most important thing. So I left that. I actually wanted to get a desk job as an executive producer. And six months went by. I couldn't get an interview. And suddenly, one week, I got three offers. And I had started, this is the really strange thing, I had started a sports travel company with my best friend, but he had always worked. We were partners, you know, I was an advisor. And after I went to him, I said, hey, I finally got job offers. I have a choice to do this, this, or this. He goes, that's great. Why don't you come work with me? And I said, where have you been the last six months while I've been trying to get out of television? <laughs> he said, I wanted you to have a choice. So I went and worked with my best friend still today for three years, putting in insurance programs. We had 14 employees at the time. Uh, we were on three campuses, I think, and putting in operations manuals. And next thing I knew, I was driving from Fort Worth, where we lived, to Dallas every morning at 530. And then he sent me to Walt Disney World for three months. And I said, something's not right here. We became the official travel service of what is now the ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex. And uh, so I sold my half of the company to him. Best personal decision I've ever made, worst financial decision, because a couple of years ago, he sold it to the NFL. He's still the CEO, and now he has over 400 employees, I think. And um, he he took it really big. But uh, I then went to work for a franchising company, did that for almost seven years, and decided I wanted to have my own organization again. And that's what led me to coaching. And what I realized, I didn't even know what a coach was. But when I heard about it, I realized, you know, that's what I've been doing. When we had our um, travel company, I was coaching our friend. I mean, I'm sorry, our uh, travel agents and our employees. Uh, when we, when I was in television, I was coaching new announcers. I was the fourth producer on a lot of the networks I worked for, the the low guy on the totem pole. So I was getting all the new guys, guys who are now all over the air, but 30 years ago they were new. And uh, when I was in franchising, I was coaching franchisees. So it was really something I had done my whole career. I just didn't know I was doing it. So that was my circuitous journey to what got us here today, 19 years uh, later. Well, uh, you know, I myself having a little bit of background long, long ago in the entertainment world, uh, live concert events, not sporting events, but... Um, Luckily, I did it at an early age, pre-marriage, and uh, your your thirty six or thirty nine weekends a, a year. Yeah, thirty six. Um, in my organization, we did thirty six large scale productions in a fifty two week period. So everything from Broadway shows to big brand concerts like the Eagles and Chicago and groups like that, and it uh, it was a killer. It uh, it was a sixty hour week on top of anything else I had going on, but. It was a blast. Great memories. Well, so before, again, before we get into the meat of this, uh, maybe I'm digressing too far, but you've got to have some stories about uh, the TV world and things you did there. Anyone that comes top of mind? Wow. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the one I would share is I was doing a college basketball game. And our windows were, in those days, we didn't take three-and-a-half-minute commercials, I'm proud to say. We took a minute 30 with a 10-second promo. So the games were shorter. I have this two-hour window, and we we very rarely – we usually ran around an hour 57 to 205. And so if we ran long, you had to get off as quickly as possible. If we ran short, you filled till what was actually in daytime, 158.30, and you signed off. And so I've got this um, network broadcast – 
And in those days, the clock in the truck was right in front of me. So I knew exactly where we were, had all the monitors, people have seen TV trucks, the producer's the guy in charge. And so I always watched the clock kind of judging in my mind, where's the game? When are we going to end? What are we going to have to do? And I'm communicating with everyone. Here's the plan. Well, this game ended what I thought was four minutes early because that's what the clock said. And so I sent it to a commercial and I said, when we get back, here's what we're going to do. And when we went to the commercial, my wife was my associate producer. So you already see where this is going. And she says, David, you don't have whatever, 210 coming out. Um, you have 240. And I go, no, look at the clock. We have 210. I'm counting 10 seconds from back. Five, four, three, two, one, go. And I'm counting the announcers off the air. I sign us off. Well, it seems the clock in the truck had gotten off and I signed off the network. It was actually about 50 seconds early. So the country, probably the region, set in black for 50 seconds. Ooh, ooh. All that would have been fine except for two things. One, it was my wife who knew the right answer and I should have listened to her. And she brings that story up even though it's been 30 years <laughs> a lot to remind me of that. And then the phone rang in the truck and it was the executive producer. And I can't repeat here what he said to me, but let's just say that I had really messed up. And uh, was it my fault? No, but yeah, it was because the lesson here is uh, when you're the boss, it stops with you. And I just had to say, it's on me. Yeah, and uh, dead air is not what you want in media. That's a lot of lost viewers. That's, uh, uh, that's a whole lot of a lot of things. Uh, yeah. Dead air and, and uh, 10 seconds is bad. 20 seconds is worse. <laughs> 50, wow, that's... Uh, that's yeah. almost one of those uh, career-changing moments for some. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing I had a lot of history, or I probably would have been changed. Yeah. yeah. Well, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, focus areas that you deal with now. I happen to know you do a lot of work in the medical community, that, that industry, um, and I'd like to get into that, but before we do that, in any other focus areas or target groups that you tend to work with? Yeah, it's interesting. You just asked me about um, my TV experience. I, I worked with a lot of coaches, former coaches who had become announcers. And one of the coaches told me, uh, honestly, this was 1986, and I will never forget. He said, never stray too far from your strengths. And it's one of those things that just sits here back in my mind with other mentor type things. And so when I decided to be a coach, I thought, well, what do I do well? And I had worked in franchising. I had worked in travel, right? I'd worked in sports. So I thought, well, there's my niche. I'll go that way. And so I did a lot of um, early coaching in that. And then I got a lucky break in that a company was in Houston and they asked me to do a project in oil and gas. And uh, my experience in oil and gas was filling up my tank. And so I, of course, said, well, yeah, I can do that. And um, over time, I was very lucky to get introduced to a lot of large organizations and, and make my way into them. So I would say probably around 2008, eight nine, 80% of my business was in the energy industry. And that continued for a long time through the ups and downs of the cycles. Um, so I would say franchising, energy, a little technology in there, <clears throat> well, really in the last few years, uh, even prior to COVID, several years, um, heavy into the medical industry, specifically hospitals. We have several really well-known hospitals here in Houston, and I've been fortunate enough to work in them. So uh, that, that's the broad scope of really where I'm focusing now. I, I, I guess, to be honest, for the 
time we've known each other, I didn't realize you had done as much in the oil and gas. And um, I share a similar story, and perhaps it's part of just the geographic proximity with Houston being somewhat the energy capital and all the oil and gas enterprises that are around us here. We, um, When I was first invited to go coach at an oil and gas organization, the person doing the recruiting said, have you ever worked with oil and gas? And I said, well, I said, to officially say I worked with them, no, the answer is no. But have I ever known anybody? Do I know the personalities? Do I know the people? I said, you know, in my neighborhood, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting an oil and yeah. gas person. So uh, it's a, uh, you know, it, it is part of the geography down here. And uh, it's such a big part of our life. But but I'm intrigued. I, I do want to focus a couple of thoughts about the medical community. Number one. From my experience, and for disclosure, I've never worked directly with the hospital systems. Again, I've got friends that are involved, but never worked directly. But my understanding is impre and impression is that for the most part, the big hospitals operate with a heavily matrixed organization. And if anyone listening has worked in a matrix environment, you know there's some unique aspects. I'll, I'll, I'll keep it on the high road here. <laughs> Unique aspects of working with a matrix. And, and what do you see in that environment, David, for leaders and executives that are trying to get the most out of the teams when it is a matrixed environment? Yeah, well, you, you hit on a key because believe it or not, my coaching call just before we got on for this uh, podcast uh, was with someone. And in that coaching session, she said, well, you know, I have a straight line to a boss that is over here and a dotted line to two bosses over here. And uh, there's one of the big challenges, right, is who do I answer for? Who prioritizes me? Um, how do I communicate with those folks? So, yes, in a matrix organization, it can it, it requires clarity around who calls the shots and who I, I report to. Um, from a broader standpoint, just challenges in the uh, hospital community. And I, I think this would be a great place for both of us to pause and just say, wow, how incredible have those people been the last two and a half years? Amen. Yeah. As I've been um, working with them throughout, uh, really after six months getting into from March to September, when the void happened in 20, and it picked back up again for me and my coaching um, it's amazing just how dedicated, how overworked, how stress-related they are um, just dealing with what we've been through. And the amazing thing in my experience with them is I haven't heard one person complain. I mean, I, I, I'm serious when I say I probably um, either from personality style assessments or being with uh, groups of 15 to 20 of them. I, I've got a group I'm going to be with next week in one of the hospitals. It's 150 people. And um I have yet to see a single complaint. I'm just amazed by it. There, there's never been a complaint about the amount of work. There's never been a woe is me. There's simply been, well, this is what we do. I'm very tired. I'm very stressed, but I'm showing up tomorrow. And so I, I just find them fascinating as um, humans who really are dedicated to their profession and their calling. I, I would agree with you. Now that you've mentioned that, uh, I'm at a place in life. I'm not ashamed to say that in a few short months, I turned 70. So I've got that big milestone coming up. 
And I have embarked on a journey of precautionary tale to just get top to bottom a thorough uh, evaluation of all major uh, systems and whatnot. And I'm happy to say at this point, I'm probably more than 50% through that exercise and everything's still checking out. All, all lights are green and everything's going well. But to your point, I've been struck by the relative uh, high level of morale and attention. And, you know, I've, I've talked with a lot of my own business clients who are frustrated with the, their sense of the general downgrading of the public's attitude and the difficulty with customer service and so forth. But everybody in these medical clinics that I've been going to and working with, they've all been upbeat. They're happy. They're helpful. They're on time. <laughs> Mark my word <laughs> on time. And that's not usually a condition you describe in a medical setting, but um, systems are working and everything's clicking off. And, you know, I go late at night for some tests and the night shift is just as happy as the day shift. And it, it goes on and on and on. So I agree with you. I mean, kudos to all of them. Now, what's interesting, um, amidst all of the um, wonderful approach that the healthcare profession is taking, I have asked them to tell me about us, the public. And I don't know when the switch turned from, uh, you know, people banging pots and saluting and singing and all that out of windows to the way the public is treating some of these people, but uh, they have really dealt with our worst selves, I think. And so if you're watching this or listening to this, do something nice for someone in healthcare. And while you're at it, do something for nice for the teachers too, because they're experiencing it at all the different levels oh, of education. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I have I, lots of opinion, Doug. Some of them are even, you know, worth considering. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I happen to be right there with you. Um, I've got, a couple of my kids are educators, and uh, they're getting beat up left and right by all kinds of things. I mean, sometimes literally and yep. other times emotionally. But, um, yeah, they're catching it from all ends. And um, I, I agree. When you talk to clients who are, are providers of service and, and goods, there there is a, a tone and tenor about the consuming public that has really gone to the dark side. I mean, um, I've got two home builder clients that are just appalled at the way people sign these big high dollar contracts with high dollar penalties for canceling and they just walk away. They just walk away without any regard to what it says on the page and, and they want their money back. They they just it it's unequivocal, you know, they they demand their money back. And mm -hmm. the threat is if you don't give me my money back, I'm gonna ruin your life. You know, I'm gonna ruin your reputation. And I'm and it's like, yeah, but there's a contract here. <laughs> yeah, but there's also Twitter <laughs> you know, it's, and a Yelp. So that's right. That's we right. need to work on this. This is a coaching opportunity. I think we've un unleashed on we we ourselves. we do. We need to we need to uh, publish a plea anyway and I, I agree with you if uh if you're listening and you're out there and you know think twice about what you want to say to that service attendant at the restaurant the waiter the waitress uh anybody that's trying to help you get through a process of any kind um, 
It's a big deal. And boy, we've gotten way off topic. Here. No, it's a good one, though. <laughs> I, you know, as my mom taught me, if you don't have something nice to say. However, she also taught me, imagine if that is your child or your spouse that's being treated that way. How would you feel? And so I try to keep that in the back of my mind is everybody's trying to do their best, I believe. I think that's one of the tenets of coaching is holding our clients in the highest esteem and believing they're going to show up as their best selves. So probably just flows into my whole life. So so back to the coaching thing, what would you say are some of the key threads or hot topics that clients are struggling with and looking for, given all of the changes we've all been through during these pandemic years? And the, we can talk a lot about the emotional mindsets that have changed and expectations from employees, et cetera, et cetera. But do you have a short list of some of the hot topics that usually come back? Yeah, and you hit on two of them right there is is my own emotional state and how I control that and how I show up the way I want to. Um, certainly, we know people are working shorthanded. We have very low unemployment and uh, people have struggled to bring in the talent that they need in their organizations in a lot of cases. Um, other other topics that come up, I think, over and over for me, it's how do I, you probably experienced this too, how do I spend more time as a strategic thinker? Because it seems that so often leaders at the highest level get pulled down into doing stuff. And I intentionally left the G out there doing stuff because there's just so many things. And so how do I, what I was talking about, is you own your calendar and how do you manage that calendar? And so when someone knocks on your door and you're in the middle of something, what do you do? Do you say, yeah, come on in. We all have an open door policy. I get that. What did that do with what you were focused on? And right. could you manage with them? Now's not a good time. When could we meet? So I think that managing my calendar and my time. Um, I'm hearing way too many stories from people of, I have so many meetings. I'm literally on Zoom calls or whatever the format is um, from the time I sit down till I go home. So the only time I get work on work done is weekends and nights. And that is not sustainable, as you know. So how do I free up time in my calendar? One of the things I say is, how many of those meetings did you need to be in? And usually people will say, well, not most of them. Okay, so how are you going to handle that? And sometimes it's, I need to send the people that report to me to the meeting. I need to get an update from them and not feel I have to sit there on a Zoom call for an hour. So, so that's another hot topic. And then I guess one other that comes to mind I'm seeing a lot of focus on DE and DEI and B now. So DE and I was the term. And um, they've added now belonging to diversity, um, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And uh, I think at first it was a hot topic because it was a topic. I think now though companies are realizing and organizations are realizing that it actually has a financial impact. And so to I guess the bridge between inclusion and belonging is I come into an organization and I feel included because they invited me in and they said all the right things. Belonging is I actually am invited into the conversation and my view, even if it's totally different from whatever the topic is, is appreciated. And uh, I was actually on a training for this last Wednesday, I think, and someone said uh, on there, you're you're included in your belonging and until you're a part of a team and you're not. And they gave the example of, let's say that you're a consultant or you're an expert in a subject matter 
and you're on a team and you're valued for that. Well, this person, David, is really good at doing this. But David's not invited into the conversation with the rest of the team on something else because we've put him over here as he's only good at this. And so the bridge to belonging that I think a lot of organizations are trying to make is how do we invite David into that team where he isn't just thought of as isolated and pigeonholed over here, but his views are valued on the whole team. And, and so those are probably the three that I'm seeing most often. You know, on that last one, I'm, I'm reminded of a story and I did this came up the other day and, and I was talking to someone, I did some teamwork at one of the big oil and gas enterprises and there had been some reorganization. And so they wanted to, have a facilitated session to kind of go through the work of resetting the level for team expectation. And, and I took a page out of the Lencioni book and we started talking about charter and contract within the team. One of the things we did prior to the, the day of facilitation, we did do a survey of evaluating where everybody was. And it was a, one of the classic assessment tools that when we plotted everybody, it was a four blocker deal and you wanted the high performance up in that op, upper right hand grid, you know, and a whole cluster of the team was up there, but there was one guy way over here to one, one outlier that was way over there. And so before the meeting, I was talking to the team leader, the executive that had supervisory responsibility. And he said, I think I know who this is, but we're, we're going to have to dance lightly. And I said, well, you know, in full disclosure, in my job, um, we don't want to try to isolate them. We, we want to see if in our process today that we can let them to self-declare and maybe draw out some of the reasons they feel that way. And he said, okay, that's a good plan. So we go in, kind of do the kickoff. I kind of talk about the basics. And right away, this guy in the corner raises his hand and goes, that's me. <laughs> And he said, um, he said, I got to tell everybody, he said, I, I don't feel like I belong here. I feel like I'm always the odd man out and I'm always the contrarian for everything we've ever talked about. And he said, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say, he said, I'm thinking about applying for a transfer and we're all like, <laughs> okay, we didn't expect that to happen. But it was real interesting immediately. And keep in mind, the rest of the group was pretty high-rated, high-performing, high-functioning, emotional intelligence, all that good stuff. They turned to him and they said, please don't do that. We love having you on this team. Your contrarian ideas, as, as odd as they can be, we love them. We need them. We don't want you going anywhere. And if we've never said that, we're so sorry, but we want you to know that we don't want you going anywhere, you know, you've not at least not for that reason. You know, if you get an opportunity, that's a different story. But, you know, don't don't go because you feel alienated. And and we had a really engaging and productive talk, and that sort of set the tone for everything else we had to do. And we we had been there about. 45 minutes at that point. <laughs> you know, sometimes our role is just to give people space. And imagine if if you hadn't been there and done that and he had applied for a transfer and the team were, whoa, whoa, why, why? But just by being true to what we do and, and saying to the person that brought you in, is, well, no, we need to bring 
came in and explore this, uh, I mean, you, you may have made that team a lot more effective than the day they walked in that door. Yeah, yeah. But that must have felt really good. What? Uh, what? Yeah, it was. It, it was very good. But but again, I was. I was. I want to be clear. I was fortunate. This group was. If, if you think in terms of the high emotional intelligence, this group was pretty far off the chart. I mean, it was easy to tell from that survey that it was going to be an interesting day. And, uh, and, and similar, uh, same team, same issue. As we started talking about mapping out this team contract and team charter, uh, we started talking about the attributes of having a team contract. And one guy folded his arms and he said, we don't need all that. We know each other. We know how we operate. We don't need any of that stuff. And a lady sitting next to him said, no, you're wrong. We don't have that stuff covered. We, we get in and it's a free for all. And yes, we accomplish some things, but she said, I want to hear more about what this is about and how we can go there and define some of these things. So we did the rest of the work for the day and, this guy who had originally objected and he shook his head and I heard him say to her, he said, I apologize. I was wrong. Um, there is a lot of work we need to do to understand and work better together. And he said, I'm, I, I love what we've agreed to today and I'm, I'm all in. So. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how in our work so often we hear from people, I've never had this opportunity or I've never had an experience like this or I just didn't know this was even possible. And to me, that's that's what keeps me coming back. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, what, what about in the the medical community again, with all of the extra burden and complications that they've got, both from just the sheer nature of the work, where where literally people's lives are in jeopardy um, or at risk, as a, maybe a better word. Um, what do you see in some of those moments as you work with those leaders in that field? So I, I think one thing that is important is for you and me to be clear on what we're not. And uh, we're not therapists. And and, uh, and now there are coaches who have PhDs in psychology and they can go to where you and I can't. Right. Uh, I so so I, I will say there are occasions that someone raises that issue and I have to be very disclosure to them. Of, that's just not an area that I'm an expertise in. I can talk with you about what you want to do with that. You brought that up for a reason. What do you want to do with it? But I can't help them unpack something that happened back here. We're always looking from now forward as coaches. Uh, within the medical community, I, I think one thing that I've experienced recently is just this uh, this feeling of when is it going to stop? You know, when? When, when we've had so many iterations of COVID and I just got my whatever number we're on booster on Friday, uh, you and I are older, so we kind of need to do that. And um, for for them, it's kind of like, I, I just hope the winter doesn't bring us back to where we were before because they're all tired. They're near exhaustion. They've been working so hard for two and a half years. One person said to me, I'd just like to take a five-day vacation. You know, I've been here mostly every day for two and a half years. So I think that's at a high level, just recognize their um, commitment and yet their exhaustion and health. And, and how long is that sustainable? And I tell you what, David, I just looked at the clock. I realized we need to take a short commercial break and we are going to come back for a second half of the show here right after this message. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. 
Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. Well, hello again, everyone. We're back. You are listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and my guest today is David Handler. He is likewise an executive coach, and we've been talking about some of the experiences of late, and I think we're going to shift gears a little bit. David, one thing that we as coaches like to occasionally ask our clients is, uh, have you learned any lessons or what are the lessons learned? And I'll ask you that as a coach in the last three years or so with all of the incredible changes that are going on emotionally, psychology and psychologically and at work, have you learned any lessons in uh, everything you're doing with your clients? Yeah, I have one. uh, Don't think Don't take anything for granted because, as you may have experienced, uh, March of 2020, uh, in a 24-hour period, you remember back in the old movies around World War II, there'd be a knock on the door and it'd be a telegram, we regret to inform you. Well, I got, not death-related, but I got three, we regret to inform you, either call or email from my biggest clients saying we're canceling your contract. And so I went from a very um, solid business to basically 15% of that over really overnight. And so my lesson there is um, keep always marketing and don't ever think it's always going to be there. And, you know, make sure you continue to work all the people, you know, in your circle of influence so that if that were to ever happen, probably not that, but something like that. Um, that you can backfill that because it was a hard six months. And, and again, I'm not comparing to anything that others have gone through, but personally for me, that was that was an eye opener. Um, another lesson is we have to take care of ourselves. What I did accomplish during that six months, you know, and I was um, 39 years into my career there. So I accomplished, um, I walked, I started walking every day. I've always been a swimmer, and uh, but I started walking and uh, I did not miss a five-day you know, Monday through Friday walk for 38 straight weeks. And I worked up from like around the block to seven miles. And yeah, it was such a great opportunity to, to be self-reflective and to be out in nature. And amazingly, that was a wonderful time to be in Houston that period from a a weather standpoint. And um, I continue my swimming. So, so we have to take care of ourselves. Um, it's just a way to clear our minds and, and let go of that stress. And I work with clients a lot on when stress shows up, what are you going to do with it? Because it's going to happen. How are you going to manage that? What are you going to do? We don't want to act out on others because it's not their fault that we're stressed. Uh, that's a second lesson. And I guess a third lesson is I have noticed, and I'm certainly doing it myself, um, people have gotten better at listening, the people I worked with. That's been a, a headline for them to work on is I need to be a better listener that they're bringing to me is how do I listen better? And uh, I think there must be a lot of talk of that in organizations. They, they're reading about it. They're hearing about it. We all can learn by listening. And our role is to ask powerful questions, to engage our teams, to help them express what they're feeling. And, and you know, it's amazing how I'll say to someone, well, ask me a powerful question. I'll say, well, do you think or have you ever? And I said, I'll answer. I'll say, yes, no. And they'll get it right away. Oh, yeah, closed-in questions really don't get me much there. No, so how are you going to turn that into open-ended? Who, what, where, when, or how? 
And it takes practice to ask those kinds of powerful questions to get people to think deep into their what they're feeling and thinking. So if someone's listening right now and they've heard about this thing called coaching but never really studied it or dove into it, and, and how would you describe what a coaching engagement is about? Oh, man, you just threw me a fastball. Let me go ahead and uh, <laughs> uh, ping you knock this out of the park. Um, yeah, so I use an example because it comes up a lot. I think talk about think about when you learn to ride a bike, Doug. Okay. So if I was a mentor, I would say, oh, Doug, let me tell you about how I learned how to ride a bike. And I'd share my experience with you. It was in Fort Worth. I was six years old. You know, that whole story of my experience. Some of this is tongue in cheek, understand. If you were a therapist, you'd say, I would say to you, Doug, is there anything that happened when you were four years old that is going to keep you from riding this bike when you're six years old? If I was a consultant, I would say, Doug, let me take this bike and I'll be back in about three weeks. And I'd go back and I'd take the bike apart and I'd create a manual and bring it back to you and say, here's how you need to learn to ride a bike. Okay, all that's meant for some humor. And say, so here's what a coach does. A coach says, what's the reason you want to ride the bike? And so our role as coaches is really to get people to think about things in ways they haven't done before. I can teach you how to ride a bike. You know, you can go to a seminar and pretty much learn all this, but surveys show or statistics show that you go on a Friday by Sunday, you've forgotten half of everything you heard. And in 30 days without any reinforcement, 90% of that's lost. So coaching is a walk together on what is it you'd like to improve? How are you going to do it? What's going to get in the way? And how are you going to make sure you accomplish it? And to me, that's what coaching is all about, is partnering with our clients to help them think of different ways that either someone hasn't told them or they've never considered or they're just not committed to and trying to get them to adapt and change behavior to make them more effective. I totally agree with you. I I love that analogy. And as you were describing that, uh, for some weird reason a word picture came to my mind uh, a number of years ago i embarked on a, a a little bit of a detour not really a detour i'll call it an augmentation i got interested in the work of john maxwell as a as a leadership thought leader guru coach etc and i invested in going to his big three-day event that he has in orlando and uh, it's a massive engagement about 3,000 people show up to this thing, and it's it's just an unbelievable experience if you've never done it or never heard about it. Um, one of the in, – in one segment of that, what they had us do, and we were in these uh, tables of eight, you know, is how it was kind of organized. And um, we were supposed to try to help each other learn how to juggle. Ah, and, nice. and we were supposed to take a partner and ask them if they knew how to juggle. And if they did, you know, what else could they do with it? And and so, you know, a part of coaching is to help take people to the next level of whatever that may be. And it was real interesting. It happened that the guy I partnered with, he he was just grinning. I said, what? And he said, I've juggled since I was eight years old and and he took the balls and he's going, you know, and I'm going, 
okay. So I'm thinking, okay, as I put my coach hat on, how can I help this guy? He already knows how to juggle. He's pretty darn good at it. So that clicked with me. I said, yeah, but can you throw him higher and still be effective? And I asked him that and he just froze. He said, I don't know. I've never tried. And so he he started, you you could see him kind of, you know, oomph, oomphing the toss, and it was a disaster. And so I said, okay. I said, what do you think we need to do here? And he's thought a minute and he goes, Well, clearly I gotta work on the toss. My rhythm is all wrong. So we just started, we did nothing. I told him, I said, All right, if you're gonna work on the toss, why don't you forget the catch? Just toss the ball, let it fall the ground, see if you can get the rhythm and the feel of the toss. And he said, okay. So that's what he was doing. And then finally, and he was doing it with both hands. I said, you think you have the feel? And he goes, yeah. I said, all right, now let's worry about the catch. And he just, uh, he just right away, it was just, and it was a good foot or 18 inches higher than he had been throwing before. And so, um, uh, we both looked at each other. We both felt like, and, and I'm, I'm feeling in the mode. Well, I just totally pulled that one out of you know what. <laughs> <laughs> but you were there for him. And that's really what being a coach is, is just being there with your client where they are, meeting them where they are, as we say. And uh, it's a great story. And, you know, you, uh, I, I love that idea about, you know, trying to ask people, you know, well, what is a growth step from where you are right now? What does the next step look like? And, you just kind of tee it up that way. When when you begin working with your clients, how do you set framework and parameters for what might be a successful coaching experience? Yeah, you know, we learn as we go, right? And uh, I've had some unsuccessful ones, some my fault, some perhaps shared. And um, I think the, the way to define that up front is, I find it's much more effective if at the beginning we actually say, what, what are two or three things you know you want to work on? Um, what's hard to be a successful coach in what I do is if someone says, okay, Joe, you need a coach and David's going to be your coach. Well, one, does Joe really want a coach? Maybe he does, and then it would be very successful. But if he doesn't, then he's going into it like, oh, great, this is just a drain on my time. And so even in that setting, though, and, and I, I try not to be a break-fix coach, so I, I don't want to take someone who the organization is just trying to manage out of the organization. They need to right. go through this step for documentation. I just say, look, what are two or three things you've already heard in feedback? You've been doing this a while. One thing you and I are blessed with is we work with people who have already been successful and they got to a place of leadership. So they got talent. And so sometimes we just get tripped up by what we don't know or what no one's ever told us. Usually I say, so what's one thing you've heard that you, you were told you should work on? And maybe they say, well, it was this, but I don't agree. Okay, well, what do you, what's the reason you think you heard that? Why did that person or those people share that with you? And usually that'll unclick something. They go, well, there is this one thing. And you may have experienced this in a coaching session sometimes because I typically work with clients for six, nine, 12 months at a time. And in a coaching session, sometimes a client will say, you know, I don't really have anything today. This is two-thirds of the way through our session. And I'll just do exactly what you do. I'll sit there totally quiet. I'm not kidding. So many times they've said, well, there is this one thing. And I have pe had people share with me things I don't think they've ever told a soul. And it's it's this incredible trust. And as you and I know, we have this cone of silence and less 
unless they're doing something that's harmful to themselves or somewhere else, or they're doing something unethical or illegal, it's fair game. And people will bring that out. And to be there with someone when they reveal something they haven't revealed and just say, thank you for being vulnerable. What's the reason you told me that? Usually you'll hear, well, it's because of this. Okay, so let's, you want to talk about that? You know, let's unpack that. What's going on there? And it's so powerful. It is actually my favorite type of coaching when someone doesn't know what they want to bring to a session. Yeah. Yeah. It it reminds me of a situation, and I think I can share this without connecting too many dots that would break a confidence. But I was dealing with an executive one time who had been hired by this company to actually become the replacement of a senior member of the leadership that was going out and he had had kind of a my client had had about an 18 month run as the apprentice or heir apparent or whatever you want to call him and the company hired me to come in and and kind of give him that last little boost of whatever to get him ready because the time was nigh to for this other guy to leave and sure enough, in the middle of our coaching engagement, and like you, I do six, nine, 12 month deals about in the middle of mine. Well, the appointment was made, the old guy retired, the new guy, my client stepped in and had a run. And about the third session after all this had happened, I said to the guy, what would you like to talk about today? And he said, uh, he said, I've been overwhelmed by the imposter syndrome. I said, really? Well, tell me more. You know, tell you what, what, what do you mean? What, how's that manifesting? He said, well, I've been in waiting for 18 months and I've been rocking and rolling, working the department and, you know, working people. And he said, now that it's on me, he said, man, all of a sudden I feel like I don't know anything. And I, I said, okay, well, yeah, we got something we can work on here. And it, it, you know, it opened up this whole different dialogue. And it was, it was like, you know, he could see the, the light in the tunnel. He knew what his destiny was. And when the day came, all of a sudden there was this burden and fear and concern. And I told him, I said, well, for a starter, and I do not want to minimize whatsoever, but I will tell you, you are absolutely not alone in feeling that way. And I probably hear that in five out of six clients that are at your kind of level of seniority. And he said, really? I said, oh yeah, my word. I I hear it all the time. It's, It's a very prevalent emotion that yeah. people struggle with. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, just today I had a client tell me, and she didn't use the term imposter syndrome, which I do hear often. She said, I just always in my mind am, am wondering what are people thinking about me as a leader? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how unhealthy that must be to carry that burden. So we worked on, well, what if you didn't? I mean, what if you didn't? Yeah. And then we worked through how she could take steps to not always be concerned about what the other person was saying. And what I said at one point was, they're going to still think something. And they're probably going to tell you what they think or not. That doesn't change, though, how you want to approach things. So how are you going to approach it when that thought comes into your head? I agree. I it's fun agree. stuff. It yeah, really feels good stuff. to help someone. Well, David, I think we're about up on time for this episode. Thank you so much for coming in and uh, chatting with us. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Thanks for having me here. Uh, Before we get off, tell people the best way to get a hold of you if they're looking for more information and uh, would like to 
talk further. Oh, sure. So um, real simple. Our, our website is www.success, the word success handler, my last name, successhandler.com. And if you go there, there's a part that says writings. And if you go to, uh, I think it says book, um, you can ask for a free excerpt from my book, which is called Words Flow Through Me. And I'm never going to sell you anything. But if you like the excerpt and you want the whole thing, I will um, send you an electronic version. If you just go to contact us and shoot me an email, or you can send it to coach at successhandler.com. I'm happy to give away the, the uh, electronic version. So if you're interested in some of my further thoughts, it's basically a compilation of many years of writing for other publications in my own newsletter. So happy to do that for anyone. That sounds great, David. Well, again, thank you for being part here and sharing with us. Great, Doug. I'll see you on the second Monday of, uh, no, no, it's next Monday. I'll see you next, oh, two Mondays. I'll see you in two, two Mondays. Mondays. Yeah. 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 Sounds okay. good. Well, folks, we're going to wrap it up. And uh, as I always do, I want to remind everybody, if you're listening on your favorite uh, streaming service. We do have a video version of this over on YouTube, a channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense, or just put me in the search box, Doug Thorpe, and you'll find the, the show there. I uh, would encourage you to, either way you're hearing us, uh, leave a review, leave a comment, uh, reach out to me on social media. My links are in the show notes as well. Would love to get your feedback, have a dialogue about what you've heard today, and let us know if there's any other way we can help. For now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.